Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Creature Feature, the show where we crack open the brains of animals, humans, and make a delicious omelet. We'll discover our shared quirks with all of nature's creatures. Today, we're talking about mental health. Humans aren't the only animals that suffer from mental distress. In fact, we may be able to take lessons from animal welfare to heal ourselves. Lest you think it's all in your head, we'll also discuss how mental health affects physical health, right down to the cellular level. I did a little digging because I was curious. Why does the word cuckoo mean insanity? What does the title, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, have to do with insane asylums? So cuckoo is onomatopoeia of the call male cuckoo birds make, but why is it synonymous with being crazy? The idea that cuckoo birds are, quote, insane, comes from the observation that they make that one repetitive silly call of cuckoo, but also that the cuckoos lay their own eggs in the nests of other birds. So cuckoo became synonymous with foolish, then with crazy. But cuckoos aren't crazy. As we've discussed on the podcast before, they're actually really clever brood parasites, meaning they intentionally lay their eggs in the nests of unsuspecting host families so that their own chicks will be carefully fed and raised by a stranger, leaving the cuckoo free to mate and lay more eggs elsewhere. So the title, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, is factually incorrect. Cuckoos don't have nests at all. 
So, cuckoos being cuckoo has been debunked, but is there actual mental illness amongst animals? We can't sit them down on a couch and talk to them like we're in a New Yorker cartoon, so how do we understand what's going on inside their heads? And do animals experience human emotional ailments such as depression and midlife crisis? On today's episode, we'll look at mental illness, captivity, and midlife crisis in animals and humans. You may have heard of OCD, Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. As we'll discuss, it's a lot more complicated than how the popular media presents it, as just being tidy or obsessively clean. People with OCD must complete certain rituals, whether it's hand washing, turning lights on and off, saying a mantra, or checking if doors are locked. And it's not their fault. The brain literally starts skipping, like a record. A recent University of Michigan study found that OCD brains get stuck in a, quote, loop of wrongness. Technically speaking, there's a malfunction in the cingulo opercular network that is a central part of the brain linked by nerve connections. This is, generally speaking, the quality control area of the brain. It checks for errors happening during a task and is responsible for adjusting or stopping a behavior. What happens in the brains of people with OCD is that this quality control area over-detects errors and has a less functional stop-action neural network. So you're stuck in a loop. You're stuck in a loop. You're stuck in a, <coughs> sorry. You're stuck in a loop where you think you may have made an error and you can't stop trying to correct it. And as we'll see, humans aren't the only ones trapped in the OCD carousel. With me today is Hannah Michaels, comedian, writer, anthropology major, and koala lover. Welcome, Hannah. Hey, what's up? Koalas are gross, and I like that. So why are they gross? Uh, all marsupials are gross. Okay. All marsupials are disgusting. They are <laughs> an evolutionary pit stop that mm. we should not have evidence of, but we do because Australia. Yeah. And they're real, real nasty, all of them. <laughs> they have weird junk, and they do weird stuff with it. Yeah. And it offends. it's offensive to everyone. And... They let you. Uh, they let you hold koalas in Australia. Cause, oh, really? Yeah, there are a they lot They don't of have rules or you. laws in Australia. You can do whatever no, you, you can want. Do whatever. I mean, it's, you can murder. It's oh, fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I went to this zoo where they let you uh, hold it, and they were like, "No, you have to cradle its butt. You have to cradle its butt." And so there's like just a photo of me molesting a koala, and then <laughs> I found out they all have chlamydia. It's a. It's oh yeah, fun. yeah, yeah. They do actually. There is. Um, chlamydia outbreaks amongst koalas uh, and it's interesting this book I read about it's called Zubiquity uh, she's talking about like how maybe we can learn about the spread of STDs in humans by studying koalas because they're just a bunch of disease riddled yeah they're gross like us yeah yeah they're, they're they also poop a lot in their sleep like they sleep a lot because the the eucalyptus leaves. Oh that yeah, they it doesn't eat. provide much. Yeah, yeah, it's toxic, really fibrous, not a lot of nutrition, so it takes a lot of energy and time to actually digest. So they're like sleeping and pooping almost the whole day. So like up to twenty two hours a day. Yeah, yeah. So we're exactly like they're that. living the yeah. dream. They they, are- they kind of are. We also feed our young out of a cloaca. So <laughs> ah, cloacas. So I. I Glad we're starting on this note. <laughs> Cloaca is always a strong opener. So I want to talk about OCD, which 
is the acronym for obsessive compulsive disorder. It's kind of been a part of the public discourse in a way that's like not too accurate, not too good. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard people say offhand, like, I'm a neat freak. I'm so OCD. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or like, like I like to organize my socks. I'm OCD. Yeah. Um, my best friend has OCD and his apartment is disgusting. Yeah. It's just a poster of female trouble, a single <laughs> chair, no soap. Yeah. Well, so I, I have OCD. I actually had it as a kid mostly. And, like, I mean, if you've ever seen my college dorm, which, thank God, nobody has, but it was <laughs> disgusting. I mean, and they all are. They, it's true, but it's not, it's like, there's not an exception. You're not like, oh, I'm OCD, and therefore there isn't underwear hanging from the, the ceiling fan. Like, there is. There always is. <laughs> um, so there are a lot of misconceptions about OCD. First is that it's either, like, a minor quirk. Some people think it's just, like, this sort of minor thing. And then other, like, there's also sort of the monk perception of it, where it's this all-consuming part of your personality. And it's, like, the truth is sort of, like, on a spectrum. So for some people, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, for others, it can be really, like, a huge nuisance because they can't really function that well. It's so it's so strong. It's also, I think there's this misperception that people that have it are, like, delusional, like, I know that when I turn off the stove and then I check, like, five minutes later, I know it's not, like, magically turned back on by, like, stove gremlins. I'm just, like, <laughs> it's it's almost like it's kind of rewriting your memory where it's, like, well, I think I turned it off, but, like, did I? And, you know, because, like, when you do a kind of repetitive action, I think most people have had that where you're, like, oh, well, did I kind of lock the door? Yeah, and you sort of forget you're not sure. It's like that except, like, it happens, like, ten times you're like, I, I'm pretty, pretty sure the fifth time around <laughs> that got locked. So it's really interesting because it's caused by a dysfunction of neural networks, as we're going to discuss uh, soon. Um, and it's, it's not like this, just like a little thing that you can kind of ignore because a compulsion is really powerful. It's, um, it's like a short circuiting of the brain where it's like a record skipping on a turntable, like you don't mean to play the first 10 seconds of Bob O'Reilly over and over, but like the, <laughs> the hardware is malfunctioning, like there's dust on the record or the needle's messed up. I don't really actually know because I've never owned a record player because I'm a terrible millennial that's killing the records industry. <laughs> so I want to take you on an imagination journey to, yes. to think land. So it's my favorite kind of journey because <laughs> I'm scared of driving. <laughs> I always like when I talk about like, oh, I'm kind of scared to fly. And someone's like, oh, well, driving is e way more dangerous. And I'm just like, cool. Now I'm scared to drive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love people who think that they can logic you out of anxiety. Yeah. Oh, so fun. No, you, you can't. You can't because like all of the potential solutions to the to the worry that you have, we've already thought of. And, and like, then you can make a new worry out of right, those. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, we're problem wizards. Right, like, oh, you're more likely to be struck by lightning. And you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> lightning. <laughs> um, so as we approach a future where gene therapy seems more plausible, there's kind of some, like, upsetting possibilities. So, like, you could have a doctor turn behaviors on or off, depending on their desirability, like... So, like, for certain mental illness, that would be great because it's, like, 
there's a lot of suffering. Um, but then it get, it's like gets into this uncomfortable territory of like, well, do we want to get rid of everything? That's not yeah. just like totally neurotypical. Does art die if we do that? Maybe. I don't know. Cause, Fuck. Have you seen uh, Gattaca? Mm -mm. So the premise of that is like your ability to do a job, uh, your applicability to like be an astronaut or something is they look at your genes and they're like, oh, you have the strong genes of an astronaut oh. or you have like. So I haven't seen Gattaca, but I've seen a thousand parodies of Gattaca. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, in, in the movie, it's like the guy's like, oh, you know, I'm not genetically fit to be an astronaut, but I really want to do it. So he's got to like have fake skin cells that he collects from this other guy and like, <laughs> um, you know, like get a bunch of urine, I guess, for tests. It's, it's been a long time since I've seen it. <laughs> remember what bodily fluids he uses to trick the system. But I think, you know, this concept of like, we are hitting upon this thing where it's like, as we start to get to the point where we can turn things on and off, like, how far can that go to the point where it's like, oh, we're actually taking all of the diversity out of the human brain? And But then, so typically we think about it like, oh, you know, we'll get rid of all of the sort of uh, quirks or uh, mental abnormalities. But what if you could actually give someone something? Say you could give someone OCD so that they'd be a really good copy editor. <laughs> <laughs> or like quality control so it'd be like Gattaca in reverse but yeah I wish you could do that later in life too because I feel like a lot of adults growing up with problems was very helpful informative yeah and now it's destroying their lives mm. just hypothetically a lot of adults <laughs> so it's kind of interesting because I, I can't decide whether it'd be worse if you would, like, give someone against their will OCD or take it away against their will. But unfortunately, we do this to mice because we always do stuff to mice. Oh, uh, yeah, we do. So scientists knocked out a gene in mice, which caused them to engage in OCD behaviors. It's actually got a really catchy name. It's called SAPAP3. <laughs> nice. Um, it's a protein that helps brain cells communicate. So it's like really good for, there's this part of the brain called the cortex striatum that uh, it's like this bundle of brain cells that help regulate reward, motivation, stimulus response, and motor function. So when you don't have that protein, it's like trying to run a car that isn't properly oiled. So given how OCD functions, it's this like inability to correctly process information, give a response. So there's a bunch of things that you can have where it's these like repetitive loop compulsions that are a result of that reward system malfunctioning. So like you have hand washing, checking, intrusive thoughts. There's even like fear of authority, like where you're like, oh, I have to pray to God like 10 times. Otherwise, you know, he'll smite me with lightning. So for mice, like, what what do you think that would look like? Like, they're not praying to mouse god or washing their hands. I don't know. I guess maybe checking their feeder, even though <laughs> there's, they know there's no food. Or yeah. Some, I, I feel like these mice have very limited habitats. Right, um, right. I don't 
no sniffing their babies, eating their babies. I, they, <laughs> they I feel like they do that anyway. Yeah, they just like to eat their babies. I yeah. think that's just a normal mouse thing. Like, eh. Like they're watching their little mice TV and just have a bowl of babies that they eat. Maybe um, like biting a tail that they know is their tail, but yeah. they keep biting it. Yeah, so that's actually pretty close to what they do. They groom their face um, and like, like they do this fur grooming over and over again. Um, so they like start to get these open sores. It's really, it's actually really kind of creepy looking because they're like, I know it's really sad. They have like these big bald patches on their face and on their bodies where they keep grooming. So when these scientists altered that gene that regulates the function of the cortex striatum, they started developing all of these sores, all of these bald patches. Uh, they showed more anxiety in unfamiliar environments. And when I was a kid, I actually had a hamster that had this big bald spot on its head. <laughs> he looked like one of those Franciscan monks. Like, yeah. you know how they, like, shaved. Why just... did they? I don't know why they did that. Like... I don't. Okay. My guess, solidarity with one bald monk, like, a thousand fucking years ago. <laughs> <laughs> He's, like, the head monk. Yeah. And they're all, like, oh, well, we've got to be, like, Jerry or he's going to feel sad. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, that has to be it because that is not a, a handsome hairstyle. It's I'm, not I'm a really look. Sorry, it's no. not a good look. So I had no idea that my hamster maybe had OCD or something. And dermatillomania is a kid. That's basically what that is. Right? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. That that is very closely linked, actually. So like when you have that that reward system where it's like you do an action that fulfills some kind of uh, need. So like scratching something because we all like do some amount of skin picking right it's it's a dermatillomania skin picking like where it's like you scratch yeah I still bite the hell out of my fingers when I'm nervous and yeah sometimes it's gross which a lot of people do a too. lot of people do yeah. that I just as a kid it was at the point where it was that. yeah but yeah that's because like that is sort of like what the mice are doing they're like scratching sort of uncontrollably like ah, I'm itchy yeah. And they can't they can't stop because that that reward system is going like no no you need to keep like like turning yourself into a franciscan monk. <laughs> so I have mixed feelings on gene therapy. I mean obviously like bestowing mice with OCD is bad <laughs> or giving it to people, but you know it's like at the same time it's like if you get rid of every deviation from the norm you won't get like, you know, Pablo Picasso's and like um, Van Gogh or sorry Van Gogh um, (laughs) who's like you know he had depression and and obviously him suffering isn't worth all of the beautiful art well maybe it is I don't know (laughs) but you know from a humanist perspective it's not but then again like you, you would it seems like there's a lot of like artisticness to like having a non neurotypical brain yeah, uh, but like primarily, can we just stop giving my OCD? <laughs> I feel like if TV shows are right, they're gonna become like these super intelligent detectives, and then like <laughs> next thing you know, they're gonna put all humans in jail for their crimes against mice, and they're gonna be all like quirky and be like, "I don't have time for interpersonal relationships. I'm the mouse detective." <laughs> Even though I wouldn't necessarily want to get rid of my OCD, for many people it is a huge burden or even debilitating. 
So what are the options? There's cognitive behavioral therapy and medication, of course, but for people with intractable OCD, there are more drastic methods. Transcranial magnetic stimulation is a method of targeting areas of the brain suspected to be associated with OCD and stimulating the neurons with repetitive magnetic pulses. Another alternative treatment that is very slowly being researched is ketamine. You know, Special K, Vitamin K, K-Ways, Blind Squid, ketamine. It's been shown to have a pretty striking effect. In a case study, a person with severe debilitating OCD that was resistant to other treatments was given ketamine. Almost immediately, his OCD symptoms vanished, and this lasted for two weeks after a controlled dose of the drug. Researchers aren't even exactly sure why it works, so obviously they've started giving ketamine to mice to try and get to the bottom of it. These mice studies suggest that a chemical byproduct of breaking down ketamine in the body might be responsible. It's called, oh boy, here we go, hydroxynorketamine. <laughs> nice, I nailed it. And alone, it has none of the addictive properties that ketamine has. A bunch of people with OCD right now are like, oh yes, great, give me the drug that won't get me high. Thanks a lot, scientists. Hey, get out of that K-hole. We'll be right back after a few quick messages. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career and here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. When someone tells a story of an alien abduction, we may think they're just cuckoo, but researchers at Harvard aren't so sure. There's a study that compared the physiological reactions of people recalling alien abductions 
to those recalling real traumatic events such as car accidents or combat experiences. What they found was surprising. People claiming to have been abducted by aliens had the same sorts of physiological reactions when recalling their abductions as those who recalled real-life traumas. So are aliens real? Or are these real memories implanted, not by aliens, but by our own brains? As we've discussed on a previous episode of the podcast, sleep paralysis can make you believe you are being abducted by aliens. Because, you see, sleep paralysis interrupts the normal sleep cycle, causing hallucinations while half awake. So these waking nightmares actually implant themselves as real memories that haunt the abductees for years later. Turns out, deep inside, we were the aliens all along. So why are we so scared of alien abductions? I understand why we're scared of aliens, they're gross, and they have tentacles and brains on the outside and whatever, but shouldn't we be more afraid of them just straight up murdering us? The idea of getting beamed up into a flying saucer, living amongst creatures that you can't communicate with or understand, is kind of uniquely scary, and I have a theory for why we're so preoccupied with it. But before we do that, we're going to have to take a trip to Imagination Station and board the brain train. Toot toot! <laughs> So imagine you're going about your daily life when you feel a pain in your butt. You turn around and try to see who your assailant is, but your vision starts to swim and you fall unconscious. You wake up in what looks like a comfortable living room. You have a headache. Okay, that's where my being able to relate to this has stopped. <laughs> so you try to lie down on the couch. It's really stiff and uncomfortable, and you kind of try to adjust from the pillows, but it's like... Attached to the rest of the couch, and it's like plastic. You got to open the door to escape, but it's locked. And you try to open a window to get some fresh air. And you notice that the scene outside is very sunny and still and calm, and the clouds aren't moving. And like there's a bird just like midair, mid flight, just <laughs> totally stationary. So you run over to the phone to try to call 911, but the receiver won't budge. It's just like a big lump of plastic and like all the numbers just spell out like phone. <laughs> the TV is has a picture painted on in tear horror. It's the fixed image of Jay Leno. And so in a panic, you go to the bedroom, which is surrounded in ceiling to floor windows. And outside you see the faint shifting shapes of unknown creatures eagerly watching your every move. So I think there's a reason that human zoos are a trope in science fiction. The idea of being condemned to the rest of your life to live in a small exhibit alone and trapped amongst like alien creatures that can never relate to you or know your needs for like food and sleep is really terrifying. Yeah. Like they, they don't know your social needs. They have like Maybe like a person-shaped like pillow that's like, I am Steve, stocks, <laughs> bonds. Did you see the television last night? But it's just, you know, they're aliens. They don't know what you need. But here's the mindfuck. We've been the aliens the whole time. What? Yeah. Because remember zoos and how we put animals in them? And to the animals were the aliens? Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. So have you ever been to the San Diego Zoo? 
Uh, when I was a kid, yeah, it's it's huge. Um, that's not the one where the elephants keep dying. Maybe I'm not sure. Oh, no. Actually, I mean, like elephants are there, and I okay. would assume that they die at some point. I haven't heard of there being like immortal elephants. Like a <laughs> we we we'd probably know. We'd probably know. I mean. I, I don't think that there's been a rash of elephants dying there, but maybe. I don't know. Oh, an elephant died at Sydney's Taronga Zoo, died from herpes. What? Okay, know. Australian animals are just plagued with STDs. They're, they're this is... Australian animals, like, must be just having unprotected... Well, I guess all animals have unprotected sex, huh? I'm smart. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't... I Bonobos sword fight with their dicks. I feel like that's protected. (laughs) But I don't know what you can get from that. He protect, he attack, and he also dick. (laughs) That's, yeah, I mean, like, uh, I'm reading this thing. It says the elephant at Sydney's Taranga Zoo uh, had a sudden and acute battle with herpes, which is not how I thought herpes worked. I think it's how it works in babies, so it's possibly oh, okay. how it works in elephants. I guess some the adult human immune system can handle herpes, right? But... Yeah, because it says it it was a young Asian elephant, um, so maybe it was too young. Oh man, this was it started out really funny about like sex or yeah. elephant STDs, and now it's like elephant babies dying. Oh. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for starting you guys on this elephant death search. No, I, that's okay. That we need to know. By the at, by, at this point, I am a hundred percent certain I have made up that there is one zoo around the Southern it's, California area with a bunch of elephant deaths. It's far too late. They're gonna sue you. There's already like a herd of lawyers riding like giraffes and rhinos, just like stampeding towards LA, <laughs> going like Hannah. <laughs> So uh, I actually really like the San Diego Zoo. They do make a lot of efforts to do animal enrichment. And they, like you said, they're really big. So they are able to make pretty good environments for their animals. But that's awesome. I mean, even at zoos like that, where it's like they really care about conservation, they really care about their animals, there can still be issues of the animal's mental welfare, even if like their health is perfectly fine, they have enough exercise they can still have these issues. So like going back to the human zoo example, you know, even if you're like taken care of and you're given healthy meals every day and your captors seem to love you, you're going to get really bored of your fake house. Yeah, uh, You're going to like, I don't know, just like sing to yourself, bounce walls, pretend to read all the fake books, like <laughs> pacing around, which is... What animals do in zoos? Exactly what they do in zoos. And sometimes researchers have to go mining in a big pile of stinky polar bear poop to check on their mental state. So in zoos, like these repetitive behaviors, it wouldn't be called OCD. They call them stereotypies, which is defined as like a repetitive, unvarying, and apparently functionless behavior pattern. So polar bears in captivity will engage in repetitive pacing behaviors. They can also do like facial tics over and over, which I feel like if I was looking at a polar bear who was like pacing and like eye twitching, like that would be really scary because they're already huge and my entire face could like 
fit in their jaw easily. And if they're just pacing and like twitching, going like, oh, geez, day number <laughs> 1000. Uh, oh, man. But some brave researchers uh, wanted to get to the bottom of this, literally, because it's bear poop. So they uh, looked at levels of fecal glutocortoid metabolites. <sighs> that was great. Okay, so basically it means there's stress juice in their poop. So they found that the polar bears who spent more time pacing also showed higher levels of stress juice in their poop. So the researchers concluded that, quote, variables associated with reduced pacing at zoos were enrichment, numbers of bears in the group, and bears having a view out of their exhibit with a strong suggestion that the existence of positive reinforcement training program may also be important. So, like, basically... Having a view outside, social interactions, like everything you don't have at a cubicle job. Right. <laughs> so aside from these lifestyle changes, like what can you do for the polar bears that have the stereotypes? You know, it's too bad we can't just give them some Prozac. Or can we? We can. It's, was, <laughs> it's sort of like um, a facetious question because... Uh, the scientists were looking into medications that they could give polar bears. And so tranquilizers are not really great for calming them down because it just makes them sleepy, but no less stressed out. They're just like, I'm tired and I'm bored. This is the worst. And so like when they tried Prozac, it actually showed some promise. So like there's this case study of a female polar bear where she had pacing behaviors, facial tics, huffing and coughing, all of the, these stereotypes that the polar bears can exhibit. It was because she had been separated from her parents. And then the zookeepers, because most zookeepers aren't monsters, like they wanted to help her. They reunited her with her parents to try to calm the behavior. And it stopped for a while. And then it reemerged a couple months later, which kind of like the diathesis stress model in uh, psychology where it's like you have physiological predisposition towards like OCD or the, in the polar bear's case, right. the stereotypes. And then you have um, the, the trigger, which would be se being separated. So even once they corrected the separation anxiety, she still developed the disorder because it, it already kind of triggered that, that progression. So she suffered from that for 22 years, and then researchers started treating her with Prozac, and 84 days after starting medication, the pacing behaviors stopped, which... Wow. Yeah, it's, it's crazy because it's like, even in the field of clinical psychology, that would be an incredible, yeah. that's a really good um, outcome. So it was very surprising that this would be like the outcome for polar bears that we don't know nearly as much about in terms of their brain physiology um and remember those poor mice who were given ocd and looked like scarface yep they were also treated with prozac and they stopped showing symptoms so that's good i mean like the scientists gave them the ocd in the first place yeah. so i feel like they don't deserve any like attaboys but you know but then the question is like oh well, was there ocd cured it's kind of hard to say because like the behavior stopped but uh, we don't necessarily know like if their emotional state 
went back to normal. What's neat about the poop thing is that that's a sort of more objective measure of like stress levels because it's yeah. like, we'll see how stressed out your poop is. Yeah. Uh, and if you have stress. I would be terrified if my toilet told me how stressed <laughs> I was. Your toilet's like, yeah, you've been looking tense lately, you know? Yes, Just- I know toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Do your job and take my poop. Just want <laughs> Just shut up and take my poop, will ya? So we're left with some moral questions from this this poop study. Like, are zoos bad for large animals' mental health? And does that justify keeping them there even for conservation? I mean, I feel like if you're willing to dig into a big steaming pile of polar bear poop, like, you're probably doing things right. <laughs> I think so. I I wouldn't, if, yeah. It's, it's a hero's work. It's an unsung hero's work of just, like, just scooping that up. And, and I mean, I would hope they would have some, like, safety things, but, like, what if you're just in there with the bear, like, sorting through their poop, and then the bear's, like, going, like, what are you doing, bro? And it's like, D- it's it's fine. Just... <laughs> it's private. You don't need it's... to know about it, bear. I remember when I first got my dog and I started like, you know, you take them on the walk and yeah. you clean up their poop. Like the first time she saw me do that, she gave me such a look. She's like, <laughs> where are you putting that? Why are you collecting it? What? <laughs> like she is like. I mean, she wanted to eat it is the thing. Like, she would eat her own poop when she was a I was going to say, what a snob your dog is. Usually they just eat that. Oh, no, they eat but, it. But but she was like, she looked offended. Like, <laughs> like you're <laughs> taking my poops and just throwing them away? That's a perfectly good turd. I've been having a lot of really weird thoughts because some bad shit happened to me. And now I think mm. weird is the best, literally my therapist diagnosis Looking for someone new. Hi. Um, (laughs) And it goes back to this so much because I just, I start uh, thinking about like scary sex scenarios. Mm. And I started thinking, literally, if aliens come to Earth, what do I do? The first (laughs) thing I do, show them the pandas, ask, isn't it weird that we force these pandas to fuck? And (laughs) if they say, no, that's not weird, you run. Oh, yeah. That's a really good litmus test. Like, because... You know, if we do that to pandas and aliens see that, they might get ideas. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that is weird because, like, we are so obsessive about pandas' sex lives. It's like... It's really gross of us. Yeah, it's like, oh, you're not having enough sex, pandas. It's like, c- could you just, like, not do that? Like, could you leave them alone? Is it any of your business how much sex the pandas are having? Like, maybe they don't feel like it, you know? Maybe they have a headache every night. It's just none of your business. Yep. So I, I was interested if confinement, since it affects polar bears and presumably a lot of other animals' mental health so much, whether it affects the mental health of people. And intuitively, it just makes sense that being in prison is going to affect your mental health. That's right. But there's actually a study published in the American Journal of Public Health that looked at the rates of self-harm amongst incarcerated people. And they found that it was significantly linked to solitary confinement. And the numbers were pretty like pretty crazy because it's like so only 7% of the prison population were held in solitary 
and over 50% of the these incidents of like self-harm or uh behaviors sort of like the polar bears would go through or, or the mice where it's like kind or of this, like picking your skin or right your right head. we're all linked to uh people who had been in solitary which is it's really upsetting to me that yeah. like also just like that we seem to care more about like zoo animals than like people in solitary confinement yeah. which uh, is a really uncomfortable thing but it's like you know I feel like if we're willing to like sift through polar bear poop like we're gold miners like <laughs> like old 49ers panning for gold like maybe we could put a little more effort into looking into like prison reform you know maybe I mean considering that they can talk to us instead of yeah. poop to us probably yeah. yeah yeah I mean they're human people who can use their words and they don't we don't need to communicate to them through poop like like polar bears i so mean we can we that's true it's like you know i, I mean it, these people are bored <laughs> yeah for some reason that made me think of like a poop ouija board like, <laughs> just uh using one of those see-through things and it's like oh now it's going towards like the rat poop <laughs> So that's not how I picture a poop Ouija board. Yours is better. <laughs> Did you just picture like a Ouija board made out of poop? It's just like a Ouija board, but, but like I just picture the 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 pointy wand is poop. Mm. But like like you just have you that just, wouldn't really change the function of the Ouija like board. Like you're so you're all seven of your girlfriends at your sleepover is are like touching the one poop and like right? seeing where the poop goes. This is a haunted <laughs> A haunted turd. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, you know, Hasbro, look into that. <laughs> I feel like we need a story of gory revenge to make up for all the sad polar bear science. Binky was a polar bear who lived at the Alaska Zoo in Anchorage. Binky may be the name you give an undersized balding chihuahua, but he was over 1,000 pounds of concentrated muscular spite. When a tourist scaled two safety fences in order to get the perfect photo of Binky, he grabbed her leg, snapped through her bone, and kept her shoe as a souvenir for three days. There are photos of Binky holding his shoe trophy. Humans, when learning about a bad decision another human has made, will often attempt to replicate that bad decision, so teens decided to go pool hopping in Binky's private pond. Binky did not appreciate this and mauled one kid who was lucky to end up alive. The zoo was kind of cagey about whether Binky was the one who attacked the kid, but he reportedly had blood around his muzzle and what I can only assume was a smug-ass bear grin following the incident. He also uh, bit off a zookeeper's finger. Despite all this, the zoo still loved him. They said Binky is, quote, independent and, quote, likes to play games and is a very smart bear. No doubt. Binky achieved celebrity dumb for his maulings. Binky merchandise was produced with photos of him holding the tourist's shoe and saying, quote, send another tourist. This one got away. I'm not kidding. This is a real shirt. People sent in letters supporting Binky's decision to chew on intruders. 
And unfortunately, Binky passed away in 1995. People left him flowers, but I don't really understand why they didn't leave a wreath of shoes instead. So hopefully Binky is frolicking in heaven, ripping angels to shreds. Hey, spit that shoe out. We're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back after these messages. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. So, is it just confinement that can cause mental anguish, or is it loneliness as well? Could FOMO, fear of missing out, one day be a medical diagnosis? Loneliness and isolation feel terrible. There's this pain in your stomach when you yearn for other people, the lump in your throat when you feel rejected, the tight sensation in your chest when you're left on read. It's all in your head, right? Well, it's possible that your body can actually be damaged by social seclusion. So. Parrots are very intelligent social animals. You can tell this because once I was at the fair and I asked this guy if I could pet his parrot and he said yes and then I pet it and it like nearly bit my finger off. They have very powerful beaks for like crushing nuts and this one like just bit a big chunk out of my finger. Ah. Like I was like pulling my hand away in pain and then it started like doing this like laughing noise. Parrot's worse than Binky. <laughs> it's like it's like give me a shoe. So other than that sociopathic bird, most parrots <laughs> uh, require social stimulation to remain emotionally healthy. Um, so there's this really creepy study where these researchers uh, looked at socially isolated African gray parrots, which they're one of the most intelligent social species of 
birds, like parrots are really intelligent. And then of parrots, African greys are like super smart. They're like the Stephen Hawking's of birds. It's because, you know, hawks. Well, so <laughs> Stephen Hawking is a physicist. Uh, his name also <laughs> is shared with uh, the bird. Anyway, uh, the loneliness deeply affected these parrots right down to their DNA. So I'm going to have to explain some stuff about DNA. It's going to be really, really exciting. Telomeres are the caps at the end of our chromosomes. So you know like how you got like your your little like noodles mm-hmm. that are DNA. And like on the end of them, like you have like an X or a Y mm-hmm. or both. Or, um, or I'm trying to understand. I got my noodles. Yeah. <laughs> you got you got your gene noodles. Yeah. And then at the end of these is like a chunk of DNA that's kind of effectively junk. Like you, it isn't actually used to build anything in your body, um, but it's essential because when the chromosome is being duplicated, there are these enzymes that do the duplication. They can't travel all the way down to the ends of the DNA because, like, think of sort of like a jacket zipper. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't zip it all the way down or it, like, comes off and, like, flies into the void and then your jacket's broken. Mm-hmm. So the telomere is kind of like, you know that little thing at the end of your jacket that, like, stops <laughs> the zipper? It's like that where it's, like, this buffer that protects all of the important parts of your chromosome so the enzyme that's duplicating it doesn't cut it off right at create hand part (laughs) Um, so uh but every time it goes through the duplication process it's shortened because it does cut off a little bit of that telomere so that's why it's like associated with aging um because like once you start cutting down that telomere enough then like you start to cut out the essentials like make more blood um, as you can tell, I'm very good at understanding genetics. Um, <laughs> so this study of these, these isolated African gray parrots showed that the telomeres are shortened by stress and loneliness. Um, so the test subjects that were kept alone instead of in pairs had shorter telomeres than the ones that had someone to be with. So don't get mad at the researchers because, like, they didn't, like, evilly, like, be like, eh, we're going to put this parrot alone. They just took um, data from these veterinarians that, like, I guess when the vets were looking at African gray parrots, they're like, oh, is it alone or in pairs? And then when they would do routine checkups, they had blood samples and... So this study took place in Austria, and it's illegal in Austria to house African gray parrots alone, which I totally agree with the sentiment of the law, but it's so crazy that there's such a specific law there. Like, yeah, there's an, a parrot lobby there that's like looking after parrots and being like, no, you have to buy two. You can't have one parrot. <laughs> but obviously it's very poorly enforced because they were able to do the study. So... The researchers just took like the existing blood work right. from the the vet's office and found that loneliness can actually shorten the parrot's lifespan. So I feel like we should start a parrot tender and do a good for the nature. So 
it's not just parrots, though, because there is a study of people over the age of 50 in the UK, and they found that a combination of feeling lonely and not having much contact with family or friends can actually predict that they would have a shorter lifespan. So maybe we should start a parrot tinder, but for humans. <laughs> so can you actually die of a broken heart? This is a hypothetical question because, because I'm about to say yes, you can. <laughs> um, so broken heart syndrome is a real thing. It's this really rare event when like you have a sudden stress, like learning a loved one has died, actually causes this cardiac muscle malfunction that can be fatal. Um, it also goes by another name. Here we go. I can do this. Takotsubo cardiomyopathy. Um, <laughs> Damn. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Um, here's where it gets really interesting. So uh, Barbara Natterson Horowitz, who is a cardiologist here at UCLA. I don't know why I said here. We're not at UCLA right now, but it is, you know, We're in LA. over there. Yeah, it's in L.A. So she made the connection between broken heart syndrome in humans and something called capture myopathy in animals. Uh, so when a small prey animal is captured, it can just like die of cardiac arrest. So like these researchers were trying to capture these birds once to like put the little bands and then like a lot of them would just die. Oh no. I know. And they're like, you know, they're not trying to kill them. They're just like trying to give them little bracelets, but the birds just like gave up, I guess. They're just like, Nope, we're done. So Natterson Horowitz found that there's this clinical similarity between animal capture myopathy and human broken heart syndrome. She was saying that we could learn a lot about human medicine from animals and vice versa. But like personally, I'm just waiting for them to be able to like implant a lion heart uh, in me. <laughs> so like, cause like they're not scared of anything. So they'll never die of a heart attack, right? Scientists? Uh, sure. Yeah. I I'm pretty sure. I'm going with lobster heart here. Oh, really? Why? I think some species don't die unless they're, like, maimed. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so they do actually have a really long lifespan. Yeah, no, you're totally correct. Awesome. You take wow. that lobster heart with confidence. <laughs> uh, that That's a very good good choice. <laughs> but then, like, I mean, would you start, like having the qualities of the animal like just like pinching people all the time i do that already and i mean <laughs> it's like you could like get a rubber band on your fingers and like oh no i don't know what to do already done <laughs> oh this is an audio podcast oh, i do have a rubber band she has a small rubber band to remind me to do something i don't know what it is right and she's She's left, like, her hands are functionally useless now because she's like, I can't figure out these rubber no. bands. No, it's I, I tried biting them, and that's end of list. You've tried waving your hands around yeah. very slowly, and nothing works. So in 2011, Denver was being plagued by a wig-wearing menace. The, quote, midlife crisis bandit has been responsible for three bank robberies. He's called the midlife crisis bandit because he appears to be in his 40s to 50s. His weapon of choice? An open umbrella, which makes me suspect he might be the penguin or Mary Poppins' delinquent son. 
As far as I know, he's still at large, although maybe he's outgrown his midlife crisis banditry. Were the police right to label this man as going through a midlife crisis? Does such a thing even exist? Well, as we'll discuss, we might find the answers lie with orangutans, who seem to experience a midlife crisis of their own. Now, I'm not suggesting that Denver deputize an orangutan to get inside the mind of a bandit dealing with a midlife crisis, but wait. No, no, I'm totally suggesting that. Get a grizzled, hard-drinking orangutan detective to begrudgingly come out of retirement so he can catch a bandit and maybe make a few friends along the way. So, Hannah, uh, would you believe that the concept of midlife crisis is very contentious amongst psychologists, sociologists, and economists? Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, I thought it was interesting because, like, I went to um, uh, the seminar uh, by uh, this economist, Andrew Oswald, and he was talking about, like, like all of the drama behind like his research into midlife crisis and it was it was really funny to me how it's like there's just a lot a lot of like frustration and drama and and anger into the research into midlife crisis and <laughs> like well I guess you know that's a pretty uh, lively topic for economists so there are attempts being made to quantify the phenomenon it kind of may seem silly like they're gonna research are you kidding they quantified the hotness of servers like d fuck these economists like, they'll do anything like the hotness of computer servers or no like like human wait waiters and waitresses oh and okay were like when they're hot the economy's bad what again could be making this up no 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 you're I not this sounds i'm I, this sounds correct. I feel I don't like know you're right. How they're doing this? I don't know. I want to know who proposed this and got funding. I mean, what fucking creep? I don't know. I mean, but, like, like I feel like it's like, like <laughs> the the motivation behind the study is like, I I'm just gonna go to a bunch of restaurants and uh ch check check out hot waitresses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's incredible, man. Yeah, like just like funded by the <laughs> boob inspector society or something. Is it I wonder which way the causality is going, Hana? Like if it's that hot servers cause the economy to crash or when the economy is crashing only hot servers get hired. I'm going to say hot servers are gods. Oh, okay. So like so like they can actually control. I knew it. I knew hot people were behind the economy. Yeah. Uh, Always. So, how do you quantify midlife crisis? Are you like, oh, the amount of like penis enhancement drugs that you take, or like cool impractical cars? <laughs> um, so, actual midlife crisis, clinically speaking, uh, you would measure it through like higher rates of anxiety, depression, and but the main measure would be uh, overall life satisfaction. Ah, um, oh, fuck! I'm gonna die at sixty. <laughs> So Andrew Oswald, again, because, I mean, it's, of course, an economist would do this. Like, when are people the most sad? Uh, <laughs> so he studied surveys of mental well-being and across many different countries, and he found this consistent dip during midlife. And to be fair, this is a little bit of a contentious finding. 
It's an effect that's only found in more or less affluent countries, and there's been yet to be a study that like definitively isolates what variables are affecting the levels of mental wellness. And so it's kind of a it's a study in progress. So I'm interested if we can look to our animal cousins for answers. And so during this talk about humans being sad, he also brought up animals being sad. Not really. That was a really a. Seems like a fun guy. Yeah, he he was very fun. I actually, <laughs> I talked to him after the the thing, and like he's like, so so what do you do? And I was like, oh, I'm a comedian. And he like gave me this blank look, and then just turned away to talk to someone. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, that is better than tell me a joke. But <laughs> right, right. No, it's uh, but I don't think he was being intentionally rude. I think it was just like. He was not expecting that answer because these were all like like economists, right? Thing like like maybe he thought I was like making fun of him. It's like no 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 no. It's it's I t- I take it very seriously. <laughs> so he was saying that the midlife crisis isn't just a human phenomenon. That there are studies of chimpanzees and orangutans that the animal caretakers report there being a dip in their perceived happiness around the chimps middle age so there are a bunch of really great personality measures that were used in the study that the caretakers would report they're all really interesting but i'm just going to point out a few of my favorites Mm. um there's stingy lazy depressed defiant predictable jealous sensitive stable manipulative and clumsy so it's like the worst version of the seven dwarves, <laughs> just all terrible. And I, I also really like the idea of like a caretaker being like, "This chimp is stingy." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like it, it's uh, so it's a little bit subjective, as you can imagine. <laughs> um, oh, another good one though is that the caretakers were being asked if they felt like the animals are were reaching their goals, and <laughs> that makes me wonder, like. Wh- what would be like a chimpanzee or an orangutan's goal? I feel like instinctively it seems like they live pretty day to day, like scratch butt, get nice <laughs> insects and eat them. I mean, there's a hierarchy. Yeah. I guess just get to the top of that. Get, get and, to the. And, and get a lot of food. Right. For later, become the cool orangutan that everyone looks yeah. up to. Yeah, get get others to to pick the bugs off your butt. Right, right. Like you do a skateboard flip, and then every next yeah. thing you know, everyone's picking bugs out of your ass crack. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> when I was in Costa Rica, you could actually tell uh, the capuchins. You could tell what their social ranking was by how oh, many cool. scars they had on their faces. Oh, um, yeah. It started out cool. Yeah, yeah, and then it got real dark real quickly. So, like, I would imagine that the um, the ones that are less high up on the hierarchy have a lot of scars because they're, like, bullied. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, that's yeah. sad. It's sort of like in, like, monkeys can be such dicks. The the snow monkeys, you know, the really cute ones with the red faces and, like, the big poofy fur coats. The ones in the Japanese hot springs. Yes. Yes. Uh, and they're adorable because they go into the hot springs and they just, like, chill out. But they're also really clicky and mean. So they like when, just like real spa people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like they're just like Karen at your local spa who's like giving you judgy looks. 
So like if you're not a socially accepted um, snow monkey, they're like, uh, no, no, you, you don't get to be in the hot springs, which really sucks so because cold. it's very cold there. And like there's I remember watching one of the, probably an Attenborough one where it's like a video of like this like snow monkey and her child like shivering in the cold while all these like posh monkeys were like like laughing it up in the the hot springs. Oh. Society, man. Are we a mirrors to the monkeys? Are the monkeys mirrors of us? You know? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I don't provide free pot with the podcast. Like, as if <laughs> you don't just get to get weed. So it's a little unfair for me to spring those questions on you. No, that's okay. These questions are the weed. They are the weed. That's true, yeah. Just getting a little high on some uh, some questions about monkey society. Um, Damn. So why do we see this dip in the happiness of orangutans and chimpanzees? So sort of like with the human midlife crisis, there's not really a scientific answer yet. But I asked my friend who she's actually worked with orangutans and I wanted to see like what she thought about this study. And she thinks that um, because it's focused on primates in captivity, it could be an effect that isn't found in the wild. So, like, there's something about the captivity that affects their happiness around midlife. So this is just, like, wild speculation, but it's my podcast, damn it, and I can speculate <laughs> as much as I want. I wonder if there's, like, this sense of boredom or, like, a realization of, like, a routine. like Because I, I feel like this may be the case for human midlife. Like, you've settled down you have a job that you kind of at this point where you're like oh maybe I can't really switch jobs and I can't switch families and right so you're just sort of like you get this sense of like oh like this is the routine and I'm going to be doing this like x amount of years until I get really old so you feel like this absence of choice which I think can be a really like kind of a downer when you feel like oh man I you know, I've been an accountant for 10 years. This is just, this is my life now. My resume is all freelance comedy. <laughs> yeah. I feel like for most people, when they think about being stuck in, in jobs, they don't think like freelance comedy. Well, they should because it's <laughs> dying. <laughs> there, it's like it's like that uh, Gary Larson cartoon where the, the P.T. Barnum the kids of P.T. Barnum, like, escape the circus to go become accountants. Yeah. 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 It's, this is an audio podcast, and that's a very visual gag. But I want, want you to imagine it, like these two little rascally kids yeah. exiting the circus tent. It's Gary Larson. They're probably cows. Oh, yeah. they're. I mean, everyone's cows. Yeah. That's Gary Larson's brand. So there's actually, like, and, and this sort of gets into... I'm going to try to end the podcast on a much happier note, which is how do you be happy and how do orangutans be happy? So for humans, there's some interesting ideas about how to become happier. And one of them is this psychologist named Robert Holden who hosts uh, laughing workshops, which is just like a circle of people laughing <laughs> So, like, it's literally, like, I've seen videos of it, like, people, like, sitting on the floor in a circle or lying down. I've seen these. You know, you've, you've given me hope, and now I just want to hunt down this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, he just 
says like now laugh and they all laugh like a bunch of terrifying you're telling me that there is a way to be happy and then you're telling me the thing that we all use to measure our jobs is worthless <laughs> well no so what's interesting is the i mean the clinic is a little more complicated than just like laugh my robot <laughs> um they're also like uh, told to remind themselves of happy things in their lives. And like, this is not, so this, to be clear, this is not like for people with clinical depression. This is not like a substitute for something like that. It's just people who are maybe like dissatisfied in life, but not depressed. Right. And so like, they do cognitive things like you don't have to earn, deserve, or work for happiness. But researchers recorded brain activity in participants before and after the clinic, and they found that after the participants actually did have activity in the left prefrontal lobe, which more closely resembled that of generally happy people. So people who wrote on a survey like, yeah, I'm fine, which it's crazy to me that you can like, like simulate it by pretending to laugh, which again, yeah is maybe a dangerous thing to say as a comedian. Yeah. <laughs> like, we could automate comedy. <laughs> I mean, they tried it. Um, and again, I'm making all these things up. Why are you pausing to listen to me? I don't know. I think they tried it in Edinburgh, and they tried to make a computer tell jokes, and it was just mm. really racist and sexist. Oh, no. See, you say you're making this up, but you're not. I Yeah, there have been <laughs> multiple attempts at, like, these AI algorithms that always just turn into nazis like there was the there was <laughs> oh the, yeah yeah the twitter guy the yeah twitter there bot. was the twitter bot the girl who oh what was her name this twitter <sighs> bot that was trying to impersonate a teenage girl yeah. and then she just turned into full like like saying nazi slogans <sighs> and really racist stuff uh which... smarter child never became a nazi <laughs> smarter child stayed pure yeah, I mean, a lot of robots turn evil, but it's death to all humans, not, like, humans based on your race. Yeah. But if, like, the idea of, like, forcing laughter at, like, in a group, like, you're a cultist doesn't appeal to you, there are other ideas on how to Good. be happy. So Dan Gilbert is a Harvard psychologist who says, we're really bad that, at predicting, like, what's going to make us happy. We overestimate things that will make us happier, like elections. Although, hang on. Yeah. I have a small problem with that because I think, like, maybe for more minor elections where you're like, oh, I kind of want this guy in, like, maybe that's true. But I think ones where it's like it really is important, it does have, I mean, yeah. I know No, that has an impact on yeah. your life. Yeah. I mean, because, like, I feel like this study may have been done in those wonderful pastimes when uh yeah. when elections seemed more normal <laughs> um but other things are like romances promotions yeah. moving to your destination of choice or even like winning the lottery which again small point there's actually this interesting curve of like how money improves quality of life and right. it sort of it shoots up obviously because like money is important to be able to live and be comfortable but then after, you know, your first cool million, it kind of plateaus. Yeah. Because, like, you know, there's not a lot of difference between your first mega yacht and your second mega yacht. <laughs> like, I don't think a rich person is like, you know, I, I wasn't really feeling it. But, like, once I got, like, my third Lamborghini, I really just was satisfied. Yeah. I was really happy. But 
a few things that like can actually predict like how happy you're going to be is one like um, your last memory of an event will kind of color your whole emotional response to it so like if you have a great vacation but on the last day like you sh you pooped your pants like you're gonna think oh that vacation sucked I pooped my pants <laughs> that was the vacation to Hawaii where I pooped my pants not the one where it's like because like been reading my work slack <laughs> so like even if uh you have like like 90 percent of your vacation was fine you snorkeled you like you surfed you know all these fun things but like that one percent was you pooping your pants like that's gonna taint your whole experience and so some of the best predictors of overall human happiness is uh, the amount of time spent with family and friends which sounds really sappy but it's also kind of corresponds to the studies we talked about earlier with like the African gray parrots and right. the study of people in the UK where it's like you know, it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be like a spouse, like being married or, or even having kids don't necessarily predict your happiness, but just like generally spending time with friends, people you care about, like, right. Or maybe plants. <laughs> There's this uh, study that uh, shows that, so seniors living in a nursing home were given a plant to water. And those that weren't given the plant had like, much higher rates of mortality than those that just were given like this plant to take care of in water and it's an interesting thing because like the the idea is that maybe like having that control over your environment actually sort of improves your quality of life and like an improvement in your quality of life will make you live a little bit longer because you're like you know maybe have more motivation to get up and walk around and but I don't think you can just like give an orangutan a plant because like they're typically surrounded by plants and right even in zoos. So how do you make them happy? I mean, it is actually pretty similar to human happiness. Like you need like enrichment, socializing, control over their environment. And I talked to my friend again who like worked with uh, orangutans and she said there's five categories of enrichment. There's social, cognitive, physical, and sensory. And then my favorite one, food. Uh, so like- Food is different from sensory. It is. Well, yeah. So and like physical. Yeah. So like sensory would be like, you know how like kitty cats like to scratch things. So that would be like they're getting the sensory feedback from scratching your couch up. And then like the physical is actually like the physical habitat that they live in. So like the space. So like oh, okay. having having a place to like go and eat in private. You can do things like give them puzzles with food rewards I was actually at the San Diego Zoo kind of recently, and I saw the gorillas had these little, like, envelopes filled with, I guess, um, pumpkin seeds or, or some kind of food reward. And they're just, like, is really kind of funny because, like, this huge gorilla just, like, fussing with this little tiny envelope, <laughs> like, for really long periods of time. They were just, like, so interested, and they were getting tiny, tiny pieces of food out of it. Like, it just doesn't seem like it would be that like motivating but I guess it was interesting enough and like there was like a little hole they had to like figure out it wasn't the most complicated puzzle <laughs> but we gave them jobs yeah yeah it's, it's so like cute. you are a mailman now and it's like yes I am a mailman <laughs> <laughs> so also this is really cute uh she was saying that like really social animals need to have a good relationship with their caretakers so like with dolphins and sea lions if you're if you're training them 
before they get trained, they're shown photos of different trainers, and then the dolphins like boop their noses to the photo of the person they want to work with, and then that's <laughs> that's who they'll work with. Um, and then imagine being an ugly trainer. <laughs> Like, you're the last one picked by the dolphin. And I then... don't know what dolphin standards are. <laughs> and then, like, that dolphin that gets stuck with you just kind of looks at you and goes, like, <sighs> okay. <laughs> um, I feel like, you know, maybe looking at these kind of, like, enrichment things that we do for animals might help people. Like, you know, maybe we should put our sandwiches inside of a puzzle. <laughs> or, like, uh... <laughs> But, you know, more realistically, like the kind of like socialization stuff where it's like with a lot of things like, you know, you just kind of eat food regularly. But like I feel like and you're you're the anthropology person, but like food seems like a very social thing. So, yeah. So it's like we're sort of more in the fast food era of like you shove a thing in your mouth while you're driving to your six jobs. But like. (laughs) I think it's interesting because I think maybe like part of like human enrichment would like actually being making food and then having it be like a social experience. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we do that. We do that a lot. We have ceremonies around that. We have. Oh, wait, you were saying Thanksgiving. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, I I don't know if that would be pro-social though, Thanksgiving. More of a combat arena. I mean, but that's what most of our like meal gatherings are. Combat arenas? There are a lot of both. And, oh, yeah. and that it's kind of enriching in a way. Intellectually, yeah. it's infuriating. Yeah. It's fucking, in- I swear to God, if grandpa says anything about Israel, but <laughs> that causes me to research two state solution issues. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's a form yeah. of enrichment, except like, like, the puzzle is, like, how do I get out of this conversation with my uncle without, like... How do I get him to not use the word Palestinian? Yes. <laughs> it's not just human contact that helps make us happier. Animals have been scientifically proven to improve mood and stress levels. Acute stress was reduced when study participants pet a soft, fuzzy rabbit versus when they pet a soft, fuzzy toy. Grooming and caring for horses can help with reducing the negative impacts of PTSD. And it's not just the fuzzy, cute animals that can help us. A study found that when elderly people were given pet crickets, they reported feeling less depressed than a cricketless control group. I guess the key to happiness is lots and lots of crickets? So, honey, got anything to plug? I probably have shows. Okay. I will tweet it if I have a show, probably. Unless it's a bad show, in which case I won't do that. But please book me anyway. (laughs) Uh, It's at Hannah Michaels. That's H-A-N-A-M-I-C-H-E-L-S. I I know. I I don't know. But it's it's a long story. Awesome. And so (laughs) you don't have to apologize for your name. You named your name. Got to use your lobster heart and just, like, put your name out there. Yep. When I slam this claw on the table... (laughs) You accept that name. (laughs) Uh, So you can follow uh, me on Twitter at Katie Golden, or I mean, I would also suggest very strongly following at Pro Bird Rights, my bird Twitter, where I'm definitely a human doing the bird and not a bird controlling a human puppet. Um, And you can (laughs) follow us at Creature Feet Pod. That's not 
feet pod. Like, like it's not about feet. So it's like the shortened feature. Anyway, just just you can, you can probably find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And of course, join us next Wednesday for more creature feature. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.